Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I'm not going to be quite as, uh, as grumpy as, as Cal in my uh, driving today. You three are probably going to laugh at me, but Charles Leclerc. Are you taking the mick? I'm not taking the mick. Are you taking the mick? How? Hi, I'm Louise Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hello. Tenant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello, and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast, brought to you by Formula Nerds. This week, we're reviewing the Monaco Grand Prix. My name is Sam, and I'm joined by Callum. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Can't wait to discuss how boring Monaco was again for the third year running. This is going to be great. Mm, I'm not sure I see it the same way, but you know, we'll 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 get into it in a minute. I'm also joined by Abby. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm looking forward to seeing how you and Cal go at each other this week. And I have another person here who could help me mediate potentially or add more controversy to the mix. Absolutely. Cal's still reeling after me telling him he's full of it uh, just before we started recording. Um, but no, no, Abby's... No evidence of that, mate. No evidence. There, there is no evidence, except Abby and James, who who mediate. And on that, we are joined by James. Not James McKenzie, a new James, James Phillips. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Sam. Yeah, um, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Also looking forward to discussing Monaco and the, uh, should we say, the more drama around the track than there was actually on it. Absolutely, you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head there, James. Uh, so yeah, I mean, let's should, should we start? Should we start with the race direction? Because I feel like qualifying is obviously a big part of the Monaco Grand Prix, and I think we need to kind of get onto that as a more kind of prominent section of the the, uh, the weekend. So yeah, let's start with the race direction. Obviously, uh, we had a bit of a Spa twenty twenty one gate uh, happen again. Um, Callum, do you think it added? to your your rating or, or uh, not not relevant here? Well, I mean, if I wanted to watch the Chuckle Brothers, I'd turn on, you know, CBeebies on, on the Saturday morning. This was absolutely atrocious. Like, we've got two race directors in place of Michael Massey. And this weekend, 
all right, fair enough. First weekend, they've really made a proper blunder. But people are actually saying, God, get Michael Massey back. He'll make the decision. Like, it was so bad. Awful. Abby, what do you think? It did seem like they couldn't decide on what to do. I think they both had opposing views and they didn't know what to do. And then it was all very chaotic and a bit of a mess. And I thought we would have learned from Spa last year and Abu Dhabi as well with calling different things. But, you know. Well, that's the thing. Like, with the weather, they held off the start for so long. They delayed it. And then by the time the heavy rain did come, you're kind of going, well, yeah, but you could have been 20 minutes into the race and everyone could have been up to speed and kind of, you know, cycling through, you know, going through the, the motions and clearing that water by that stage. But but James, I know you feel particularly passionately about this. So uh, so w- w- what are your, your thoughts here? Well, to be honest, it reminded me of a really poorly run business meeting, if I'm being brutally honest, because it was just, there was an inability to make a decision. I mean, I don't doubt it's incredibly hard to make these calls in race control. You've got millions of people watching you, you know, an army of commentators, fans in the grandstand and drivers who want to race. But, you know, there are rumours also that the start procedure was delayed because of uh, a power outage, which of course made, would have made it more difficult. But just talking to someone and maybe just saying we have a power outage, you know, maybe that could have filtered down another way rather than just 45 minutes of total inaction. I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, I can't... I can't um, quote Gunter Steiner from Netflix, but that is pretty much how they looked last night. Uh, you know, yesterday during the race, it wasn't good. Um, I mean, me, I was watching it with my family and we just thought, you know, the commentators were being, were being savage as well. Martin Brundle was particularly on it, I have to say, with some of the things he was saying. Uh, but, you know, to Cal's point, you know, it's the first rule blunder they've made, but it was a howler. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. I think, obviously, you've got new race directors so there's going to be teething issues. But they should have learned by proxy from last year. The fact that this has happened twice within the space of a year for the sport isn't good enough. Like, if you look at the, the silver lining, at least they did get a race, albeit not the full 78 laps or 77 by the time they kind of had the second formation lap. But yeah, it just, it lacks kind of cohesiveness and kind of direction and they were kind of yeah as you say kind of you know paralyzed by that indecision um callum you're looking you're looking like you've got you know some something interesting to say here as always i actually think that the race getting cut short was a plus to be honest i'd rather only see 50 laps around monaco it's the same thing every year just a convoy even with DRS, people can't get past anymore. It's just an absolute farce. There's no point in being there. The cars are too big. Like, you know what, actually? I was thinking about this while I was watching it. Why don't F1 make each team come up with a smaller car for the Monaco Grand Prix? A miniature What's version that? of their own vehicle. But you mentioned the cars, and I, that's, where, that's where the problem is, Cal. You're, I think your anger is misplaced. Monaco hasn't always had a problem. And the cars are too big, they're too long, and they're way too heavy. And that is the, the crux of the issue. Oh, yeah, 100%. Monaco is not the issue. I would love nothing more than to see 78 laps of actual racing around Monaco. But what we get since, I'm going to say, 2014, turn of the hybrid era, basically... 
I'm going to say all we see is a convoy of cars going round and round and round for 70 laps. Was there even any overtakes this weekend? Well, there was one driver doing most of the overtaking. It was Pierre Gasly. He did disprove you can't overtake a Monaco. He pulled some brilliant moves off, but he was the only one really moving forward on the track. The rest was done through retiring or pits. (laughs) How many overtakes, roughly, did he make? That was about a handful. Yeah, I think maybe two or three. It wasn't very many. So throughout the whole Grand Prix, one driver made two or three overtakes. This is not a race. See, see, I've I've got a couple of theories or suggestions here. And so... I mean, first, I want to say, Cal, that I actually agree with you on the whole kind of the time limit thing and it not going the full race. Yeah, you, know, you, you choke on your chocolate milk. <laughs> well, as I say, that I agree with you because it added this kind of jeopardy. And I know obviously races go to a certain point, but watching that clock tick down, I was I was stressed, <laughs> but in like a kind of entertaining good way. Um, but my, I think the one of one thing that they can do to remedy the problems with Monaco is make it a two mandatory stop race because you add an extra element of strategy in there when are you going to take your second stop yeah how are you going to do saying I know what you're saying but then it's still not a race it's just a who's the best engineer who's the best strategist you may as well take away all the cars and just run it on a sim at that point. And I get what you're saying. You're trying to improve Monaco. Like I 100% agree. This is what needs to happen. Something needs to change. But for me, it, nothing can get can improve until the cars get smaller. I've got a poster on my wall, Monaco 87, out and centre. Like, I like Monaco. But I don't like the big cars around Monaco. It's just silly. You may as well have... Even if it was F1 drivers in go-karts or supercars or something like that, do you know what I mean? Just to really spice it up a bit, actually see some overtaking around Monaco because that's what everyone wants to see. It's just, I'm going to I'm gonna keep repeating myself until you all get it. It's just shite. <laughs> but, but you're advocating it being removed from the calendar. Yeah, which... because the, the cars aren't going to shrink, so why keep going back? But the cars might, and at least for 2026... There are suggestions that is, I believe, the weight and/or size of the car is are two of the principles by which the cars are being designed and the new regulations are being designed by. So you got. I mean, at this stage, we can only hope that they move in that direction. But I just worry that if we take Monaco off the calendar and it is the crown jewel of F one, that it doesn't come back. And I think that would be a real shame as you're approaching a hundred years. Of, of racing in Monaco. I was just going to say, isn't 2026 the 100th year anniversary, actually? It's 2029. Oh, 29. All right. You're getting your sixes well, and your nines uh, the wrong way around there, Carl. Yeah, well, you know. And let's well, stop that joke there. See, making it crude again. This is why me and Sam fall out to the listeners. He's just ridiculously rude all the time. Anyway, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, my next point was going to be if the cars are changing 26, why not give us a three-year break after this season? Give us three-year break, try somewhere else, or even reduce the calendar a little bit because that wouldn't hurt anything, and then come back and try again with, with a different car. There's no point in doing another three years of this. Like Even though the new regs are in there, they were all following each other brilliantly, but they couldn't get past. 
I mean, what I mean, all I'd say as well is that is technically, as it stands right now, this was the last race for Monaco. The contract has, for next year has not yet been signed. Cal's so happy about that. I can see in his face. <laughs> um, you know, this wasn't the greatest race for it to, you know, as an advertisement for it to continue. Um, you know, F1's as much about politics as it is about racing, sadly, you know, that, and that's on a good day. And I think at the moment, it is at risk. And it is one of the ones that has been attributed as being at most risk. Um, we'll just have to see what, what happens with this. I think if you were to call a, you know, a race in terms of a strategy for Monaco, I think, the, you know, they got, they got it wrong as much as Ferrari did um, on Sunday. So, We'll just have to see what happens, whether it's more political games or whatever, but Monaco could go, and I would be sad to see it leave. I love that track. Um, you know, you have good memories about watching the Monaco Grand Prix, but to agree with Cal's point, the cars are just too big. You know, you can't have cars that huge trying to race around a, a, a track where they can't overtake each other. And again, to your point, Cal, they can, they can follow each other really well, but no one can do anything. And then, of course, you have Pierre Gasly. But it is, it, you, know, you know, then you had, um, you had other drivers driving around so slowly, they might as well have been in a different formula or just taking in the scenes. You know, that's, not all, that's not what Monaco and racing should be about either. So, you know, I just, we'll see what happens, I guess. And we, we will get to the drivers being so slow, they might as well be in another formula. We'll get to that because, you know, that in itself is a contentious issue. But, James, I think you've, you've kind of got to the heart of the problem there is that, yeah, there's so much politics around this and there's F1 is increasingly has become a business. And I think I've, I, I can't help but feel that if you take Monaco off the calendar for a few years, a race that isn't as profitable for F1 as others, I just don't see how it comes back. I think it needs to be protected like a listed building almost. And I, I, I think you have to kind of, you shouldn't cater the regulations solely to Monaco. It's a, you're allowed to have races that are different, provide a different challenge, and it's a huge challenge for the driver. Not every race is going to be an absolute banger. So I, I think having a little bit of difference isn't necessarily a bad thing. Abby? It's... Monaco is like, it's part of the history and the DNA of F1. And I completely get what Cal's saying. Like, you can't overtake on that track. And I don't want to see, it's not good when racing is just decided by pit stop strategies and that we want to see some actual racing on track where people overtake and they can't here. But I don't think it should be taken off the calendar. I mean, speaking to loads of F2 drivers, this is some of their, this is one of their favourite tracks. They absolutely love it. And it is such a mentally taxing track that it challenges the drivers in a different way compared to other circuits. So the issue is with the cars being too big, if they had smaller cars and that, then it would be fine, I think, especially with the closer racing, because then they could overtake. But I hope it stays in F1. I don't want to see it off the calendar as much as the races aren't that exciting. I've had an idea. Why don't we just change the format for Monaco? Stop calling it a race. Literally don't have it as a race. And treat it like Indy 500 do for the qualifying. And just have the the highest average speed going around Monaco wins. And you have, I don't know, five or six laps to do it. Every driver takes a turn doing that. 
highest average speed wins and just do it like that for Monaco you still get the event on the calendar it's just a, it's a one-off thing half points and do it like that just to keep it on the calendar if that's what everyone wants because you can't have a you can't call that a race what we saw yesterday I hear what you're saying and I'm I'm, I'm all open to ideas and suggestions but I think it's important not to have a half measure and I think that's you're potentially getting into concession territory there. I mean, where... half, half points for doing five laps. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not contesting the you know, the your point bad. scoring strategy. It's it's more. I think you're making compromises to keep it on the calendar, and I think for me, one of the things that I live by is, you know, if you're going to do it, do it, and also don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. So I think. Either you keep it on the calendar in its current guise, and I don't like the whole kind of. I think it works for IndyCar, but I think if you have different races with different formats, I'm not sure that necessarily works for Formula One. Or, or you take it off. I don't think an in between would work here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that obviously changes need to be made. No, they do. We watched Formula E there, when was it? Five, six weeks ago? Maybe even sooner than that. That was a good race. That was entertaining. That was the most entertaining thing I've seen at Monaco for the last, probably the best part of ten years. And that was Formula E. You know, no disrespect to Formula E, but compared to Formula One, I would take Formula One every single day of the week. The fact that I enjoyed Monaco at Formula E over Formula One this season says quite a lot. Yeah, no, it does. You're right. But also, if you look at the weekend, I think... Okay, the F1 example isn't the best one, although it was tense, although it offered a different challenge and a different kind of spectacle. But the the F2 feature race, that was gripping. That was a... For those of you who didn't watch it, Felipe Drogovic was out in front and just didn't have the pace left at this point. And Teo Porcher was tracking him down. Loves Monaco, that guy. Won there last year. Youngest ever F2 winner. And it was so tense. It was, is he going to get there? Is he going to make it? And it really, really did provide something a little bit different because there was no guaranteed overtake. He'd have to work for it. There's no effective DRS. So there is something in that. But also, I think where the virtue of Monaco lies is on Saturday. Generally speaking, you win and lose it on on Saturday in qualifying. So on that, let's move on to to qualifying. Um, Guys, James, let's go to you first. Who are your winners and losers of qualifying? Who surprised you? Uh, Well, several people did, to be honest with you. I mean, to be honest, the tunnels resemble the M25 by the end of the session because you had people spinning, you had people crashing, traffic jams, Alonso spinning back, you know, a few corners in sympathy. You know, it, it, it didn't look particularly good from a racing standpoint, from a racing standpoint to see all those, those cars are everywhere. But I think the biggest winner for me by a long way was Sergio Perez, just because he put himself into a position where he was able to win that race. You know, there's a lot of politics at Red Bull. Max Verstappen is going to be world champion in that team if you were, you know, you know things carrying as they are. Until Sergio said very openly in the press this week, 
I want to fight for the world championship. And he came to Monaco knowing he had to prove that, which is exactly what he did. I think Carlos is, not, is another winner, um, you know, getting on, to, getting on to P2. He needed a good weekend this weekend where he didn't spin off or crash again. He did that. Um, and I think the biggest loser, again, was unfortunately Mr. Nicholas Atifi. Uh, once again, just a bit, bit, off, bit off the back, not, not, not really close to his teammate um, alongside Daniel Ricciardo. Second slower than, than Lando was again. And then didn't really move for any very forward in the race. That's my take. Yeah, I think f- for me particularly, Ricardo was, I think, a, a, an easy one to notice, especially, I think, with Lando being ill or still recovering from illness. Uh, you would have hoped that he could have had more pace, especially around a place that he loves, admittedly. Um, so, yeah, it's... I thought it was generally a good qualifying session. I think it usually is in Monaco. Also, ended in drama. You know, a little bit. I think I think Perez and Science were a little bit fortunate that there weren't second runs uh, in Q one, uh, Q three rather. But yeah, Cal, Abby, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, it was it was a good qualifier, and I guess one person, or one team that surprised me was Aston Martin because Vessel got in to Q three, but Stroll was out at eighteen, so there is a clear difference between those two drivers in a car that hasn't really performed well this season obviously Ricardo, like we've said it was a shame seeing him only qualify 14th I think it was compared to Lando who qualified P5 or P6 with well with an illness and he can still put that car up there unfortunately as a kind of Hamilton fan Seeing the end with Perez and Science crashing and then Verstappen coming, that did kind of botch Hamilton's final lap, which I think would have put him higher because he did have the pace there. But obviously, that put a stop to it. So he was kind of the lose, one of the losers from qualifying. Um, but yeah, it was great seeing Leclerc put it on pole for his home race and actually finish qualifying and finish the race this weekend. So that was good. Yeah, I mean, for once, Leclerc wasn't the one who ended qualifying prematurely. So kudos to him for that. You know, he, no one could say that he didn't earn it. Callum, Rebel fan, were you disappointed with how it all sh- shook down in the end? No. No, I, I, I said this last week. I thought Monaco was going to be a Ferrari 1-2. I'm still shocked that it wasn't. Um yeah, qualifying was went exactly as I expected it to, to be honest. Apart from Perez beating Max. And I think we've got to give Perez some praise here because he's not really known for his qualifying, is he? He's he's more of a nurse the tires for fifty laps and sneak a podium kind of guy. That's what he's known for. The fact that he's beaten current world champion Max Verstappen around Monaco, fair and square in qualifying, it's like fair enough. He's reacted here to Barcelona. And he needed to, obviously, but yeah, he couldn't have done it in a much better way by beating his teammate like that. And it was, what, two tenths, I think, as well? It, it wasn't just a, a couple of thousands. It was a, a decent margin around Monaco, his two tenths. So, fair play to him. And I think, you know, as Abby said as well, there was a lot of ifs, buts and maybes if what happened at the end hadn't happened. You know, obviously Perez did end up binning it. Signs 
God knows how binned it into Perez as well, which everyone seems to have glossed over that he managed to do that. It's just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, the, there was probably a few laps that could have been better, but I think for me, the biggest loser of the weekend in qualifying, it had to be Lance Stroll. The, the fact that Vettel, bear in mind as well, missed the first two races this season, came in late. He has got to grips with that car now. The car is looking somewhat steady. Um, not really competitive, but it's better than it was. The fact that Strolls are two more races with these regulations and in that car and is qualifying 18th compared to Vettel's, what was it, 8th, 9th? Uh, yeah? 9th. 9th, yeah? yeah? Cool. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. That that shouldn't be happening. Full, full times world champion or not, Strolls should be so much closer than he was. Yeah, I... I th- to be honest, I think Q1 was a bit of an odd one for a few people. Like Gasly kind of, you know, was obviously impacted by by Sonoda and that whole kind of Q issue that we see, especially in Q1, was on steroids in Monaco with it being so tight. So there's a few people that w- would have maybe seen themselves a bit unlucky. Uh, and I mean, we all heard Lance Stroll's frustration uh, on the team radio. Um, I thought I think it's interesting with Perez though, and I, I just actually looked at Ekal because I wasn't sure of the gap. It was about half a tenth, so it was it was close between him and Max. Like I think there was all right. There was a point though where it was over two tenths. I remember seeing that, but it, it could have been one of my Monaco nap sessions that where that happened. <laughs> I'm not You're sure. Really, really spinning this hard, aren't you? This yeah. evening, yeah, yeah. But, but still, the point remains, Perez beat Max fair and square around Monaco. It's excellent feat for him. He did, because, I mean, on the one hand, yes, there were no final runs, and he was the benefactor of that in some ways uh, to beat Max. But also, he did hook up a better lap on his first run. He put himself ultimately in the position to succeed there. So, yeah, I think credit to Sergio, because being as quick as Max on a one-lap uh, pace is nigh on impossible. Uh, so yeah, ultimately, had he not done that, I don't think the race would have been the same result. Well, it almost wouldn't, almost certainly wouldn't have been. But moving on to the moving on to the race, and obviously we've touched on the race direction and the kind of you know, the controversies around that. For me, I thought it was a really entertaining first kind of 25, 27 laps where weather was obviously playing a big impact. And you had some, you had some real winners and losers in in that in the strategy game. So let's let's start with the biggest loser of all. Uh, yesterday on that front, Ferrari. What went wrong? Um, quite simply and bluntly put, they shafted it. They absolutely shafted it for Leclerc. I don't know how. I don't know how they were reading what they were reading what they did they he, the guy went from first to fourth somehow Red Bull managed to work out that an undercut would work but then within three what was it three or four laps it was then turned round to an overcut because it went from intermediates to slicks the fact that they worked that out is is phenomenal 
and Ferrari didn't. Ferrari are the bigger team, if you like, the more prestigious team in, in Formula One. You would think that they have guys in there that would know this sort of thing, that would, that would be able to work that out on the fly like the Red Bulls guys can. I'm a bit baffled that Ferrari went from first to fourth just like that in the space of three or four laps in Monaco, like just due to strategy. It's insane. I think one of the biggest issues, a bit of a tangent here, one of the biggest issues with Ferrari at the moment is their glory days are over. They're really gone, long gone, years away. And there's no one within that team now, front or back, behind the scenes. There's no one there who was part of those glory days and remembers what it was like to be a Ferrari winner. Well, that's how it appears from the outside looking in. No one knows what it's like to win a Ferrari anymore. And they've they've lost their sort of Ferrari prancing horse spark, if you will. And it's just, things aren't going their way at the minute. The last few races, they've had reliability, strategy issues. The last few years, in fact, they've had strategy issues. Well, I was going to say, they've lacked that clinical edge on strategy exactly. for a while. Yeah. And you, know, you can produce a really good car, as they have, but ultimately your strategy is going to let you down. I, yeah. you know, I mean, just, look, look at how many times Mercedes won when they didn't have the fastest car at a certain race. It's just down to strategy. Bono put in, I don't, we know it's not Bono, it's someone telling Bono what to tell Lewis, but... Bono advising Lewis on what to do, bringing him in at the right time, sending him back out at the right time, ultimately winning in the race. Ferrari don't have that guy who's looking at it and just saying, right, we need to pit now. Get him in now. He'll overcut him or undercut him or whatever. There's no one there who can make that decision on the fly for them and that is going to cost them this season. I I already think the season's over because they haven't got that guy. That guy is vital to winning the World Championship. So do you think it's a, a two-horse race between the Red Bulls? Yeah. 100%. Do, you genu- I think, do you genuinely? 100% I believe that. I think Charles, Charles is still going to win a few races. Don't get me wrong, he's still going to win a race here and there. But I think in terms of the long-run long, long run championship, bear in mind we're only just over 25% of the way through the season. There's still three quarters of the season left to go. Coming up, we've got Baku, Canada, Silverstone, Austria. You tell me, hand on heart, that you think any car but a Red Bull is going to win at any of those four races, based on pace. Maybe Austria. Maybe Austria, Ferrari can, yeah. can get there. But the next three, it's they're Red Bull tracks, mate. They're 100%. It's all high speed. They're not getting near them. They're, they're three max wins there for me. But, so, at the I thought you said it was a two-horse race. I thought, I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought Sergio was going to be in there. Yeah, he's going to be finishing P2. He's still going to be romping away from Charles. It's a two-horse race. But, nah, Ferrari are done, mate, for this season. I think they've they started well. Reliability's crept in. And then the strategy's going to let them down all season. They're, they're not going to outdo Red Bull on that front. Even with the better car, they're just not going to do it. And that, that has lost them the championship already. James, I know you were disappointed with the ineptitude of Ferrari yesterday um, just from a kind of let themselves down perspective in some ways do you see it differently or do you think Cal's on the right track sir? No I think Cal's hit it on the head I just do not see how Ferrari can come back from this 
Last year, Mercedes and Red Bull fought so hard for the title, the Red Bull had to think extremely carefully about every strategic call they made in order to make sure they got ahead of Lewis. Um, it's made them stronger and it's made them smarter. Uh, Ferrari have not been in a championship winning position since 2018, I believe, 2019. And as a result of that, you know, as, you know, again, to your point, Cal, they've lost that Ferrari magic. They've lost the sense of what it's like to fight and they've lost the sense of being able to fight on, on the hoof and make a, a split-second decision. You know, that engineer on the call on the radio to Charles saying, come in, come in, come in, was made literally at the entrance of the pit lane. Charles, he then says, stay out, by which point he's already in and Charles' hand is out his carpet in anger because he's realised he's just lost the race. You know, they're, they're not making logical decisions. They don't know how to make them. And it is so sad to say out loud because I really would like to see a Charles declare, you know, as, as world champion. I think, he, I think he'd be a lovely world champion and brilliant. You know what? And I'm absolutely gutted that I'm I'm saying this because I want to see Charles take it to Max for the season. I don't want to see Max walk away with it or Max and Perez just walk off into the distance and Red Bull, you know, just do everyone over. I don't want to see that. I want to see a fight for it. Of course I want Max to win and I want Red Bull to win, but I don't want it to be over already. You know, I just feel like it is. I just can't see them turning this around. I think it's it's just too far to, like, they're not, they're not they're not going to change it. They're not going to catch up. Abby, can you can you please be the voice of reason here, or at least <laughs> at least champion the kind of romantic view that we might have a championship battle between a Ferrari and a Red Bull? Okay. Well, at the beginning of the season, I did think that we would see Max and Charles fight till the end, like. Obviously, they were fighting tooth and nail and they were both incredibly good. But after yesterday, I don't know whether like the weather and everything just kind of made Ferrari even more flustered and a bit more confused than they already were. But they completely made the wrong call. And like James mentioned, that call to bring Charles into the pits and then tell him to stay out, like that, that should not happen at all. And it was so heartbreaking to see because he did... It was, Cal's shaking his head, it was heartbreaking because it's his home race and who knows if Monaco is going to be on the calendar next year and this was his one chance to win his home race and actually finish it and he lost it all because they couldn't sort out the overcut and undercut and yeah, it's really sad. But it's not the first time that someone's lost a race in that manner in Monaco. Daniel Ricciardo, for example, just to you know remind Cal of that, that not everyone's perfect uh, with their strategic decisions. But also, if you cast your mind back, just just 12 months or so to last year and the early summer into the kind of summer break period, we saw huge swings in the championship fortunes. Red Bull was so comfortable and looked so dominant. And then within the space of two rounds it looked like it was Mercedes to lose. So I think, as Carl said, as he correctly pointed out, we're a quarter of the way into the season, which does mean that, yeah, we have three quarters to go. But we have 75% of the season to go. A lot can change. We don't really know how the budget cap's going to come into play yet. If those fears that, you know, kind of Christian Horner and so on and so and everyone else are kind of 
talking about will come to fruition or if it's just scaremongering. So there's so many variables and some that we've never had to factor in before to come. I just think it's way too early to make that call. So I've got two points here. First point is, last year it was Mercedes, not Ferrari. Mercedes know how to win. Mercedes know how to fight. Mercedes know how to make a strategy, for one. Ferrari don't. That's the biggest The biggest reason for me as to why this is already over and Ferrari aren't going to catch up. Point two, the budget cap for Red Bull shouldn't be an issue, mainly because they're not binning their cars. All right, Perez didn't qualify, but it's fixed, it's sorted. Signs is regularly crashing his car, costing that team money. That's going to be a big issue. Halfway into the season, I reckon, if he carries on the way he is, halfway into the season, they're going to be like, oh God, right, Carlos, stop crashing now, please. It's, it, we can't afford it, basically. Um, so yeah, I, I just can't, I can't see it changing. Like I said, Ferrari aren't Mercedes. Mercedes, if this was Mercedes now, 100% I'd say title race is still on. Don't matter the point gap. Title race is still on. Ferrari, no. Nah, no chance. I've got a solution to this problem. Ferrari and Mercedes swap cars. Well, they're not going to do that. Well, then obviously, if, if, obviously not. <laughs> if, if that were to happen, if that were to happen, if Mercedes had Ferrari's car, so basically if it was Mercedes in Ferrari's position with that car... The, the championship would still be on, 100%, 100%, no doubts about it. It'd be a repeat of last season, but it's not, it's Ferrari, and they're not very good. I'll I, I take your point, I, I, I think there is something in that. I, I, there There is a, an element of truth in that they're not as mean or tough as Red Bull. And we'll get on to Red Bull being mean and tough in a moment. Because one of the biggest news stories that has surrounded Formula One this week is Sergio Perez and the fallout from Barcelona and also his potential new contract, which you know, has kind of been guessed at. How would it work? Would he be a second driver? So on and so forth. But we actually got essentially confirmation from Sergio by accident uh, after the race when he was overheard Saying to Christian Horner, I signed too early. What do you guys think that meant? Do you think that meant he didn't take enough money in his contract? Or do you think it means that he has accepted a lesser role? James, what are your thoughts? Uh, he should have asked for more money, is my opinion. <clears throat> um, because he's only, what, 15 points shy of Max now in the championship fight. And... Horner has had to publicly come out this week and say that, you know, Checo's got as much chance as fighting for the championship as Max has. And I, I just don't see how, you know, this this number two role that Checo was, he's never officially been given it. It's something that has been dubbed to him by the media and it's, been, and it's been dubbed by everybody else. I don't see how that role applies anymore. And I don't see how that role will apply next season either now, um, would be my view. But if it's written into his contract and also... Christian Horner wouldn't be the first team principal. Christian Horner yesterday wouldn't be the first Christian Horner to lie to the or mislead, cover up, be a little bit ambiguous with the truth to the media. So I don't know. 
I kind of feel that there's more there to that than just money. Cal? It's both, in my opinion. I think it's both. I think they've had him sign a second driver's clause, and I think he's taken the money. He's just got another race win. Uh, He could have asked for more now. He's probably more gutted about the money, to be honest. And I think calling him the second driver is justified. It's Max Verstappen, for Christ's sake. There's no better driver on the grid at the minute. And at this moment in time, by the way, I'm not saying forever, don't come at me. I'm just saying at this moment in time. Christ. Don't worry, don't worry. I wasn't. I I just imagined all the comments then firing my way and I just couldn't deal with it. Not everything is like a like a a, a match. No, I didn't mean with you guys. I just meant like flame. I just meant oh, with the, the listeners. Yeah, I thought I was going to get savaged. Oh, online. please do. If you if you want <laughs> if you want Callum's email email address, yeah, you can cut out the middleman. Don't go to info at formulanerds.com. Just go straight to Callum. Yeah, I don't think they'd follow Formula Nerds anymore if they got an email from me. Anywho, yeah, it's it's Max Verstappen in the form he's in. Any driver on the grid at the moment would have to play second fiddle, let's face it. And nine times out of ten, in qualifying and on race pace, Max is the quicker, the quicker man. Perez has got to take that. He knows he can pick up race wins here and there. He knows he's going to be on a good screw financially. Let's just see out the end of your career, mate, at Red Bull. And I think James is shaking his head, probably thinking not not a good screw financially. I'm guessing. Not if you if if that's what it is. <laughs> no, go on. What's your point, mate? Because I can hear. I, I mean, I understand what both you guys are saying in terms of you know he he he's accepted the second driver role. The problem is, as we've seen in the past, just because a driver has been given that role doesn't necessarily mean they have to execute it and go through it. And he and I think he's well within his rights. He Checo wants to fight for the world championship. He's made that very clear this year, and he'll keep going to to try and get it. And I, yeah, but if he has contractually accepted a second a second role, you could argue he's not within his right to do that. And actually, at the start of the weekend, I I wrote a piece where I was kind of weighing up whether or not Sergio Perez's days were numbered at Red Bull, not because he's underperforming, but because he's overperforming. This is a team that, even when they had Daniel Ricciardo clearly were favouring Max in terms of not necessarily the equipment or their strategy or how many noughts were on a on a piece of paper, on a cheque, but he was obviously the future to them. And based on based on the their decision, I think they were spot on though. Yeah, I'm not, on I'm current, not current form. Just want to throw not, that in there. I'm not saying I'm not saying they weren't absolutely right. But what I'm saying is that this is Max Verstappen's team. Are they really going to let Sergio Perez take it down to the wire, or are they going to intervene beforehand? Is that then going to lead to discomfort and you know dissatisfaction within the team? I, I I'm not so sure that they are. I don't know how viable this approach is for the team long term, unless there's really big upheaval in the general approach of the the, of the side side team. I didn't want to say team again, so I said side. But that's definitely not what we call them. Um, Callum. I, I agree with what James is saying. He doesn't have to do anything. What I think this clause will be is it's not an outright you are the second driver. Every single race you give up the position. 
I think there'll be some clause in there that states if Max is in with the championship or if Max is leading the championship, then you give you give it up and let Max carry on. If, for example, Perez was leading the championship, it may be the other way around. I don't think Max would have it in his contract as such because I don't think he'd sign it. But maybe there's something in Perez's contract saying, look, if Max is leading this championship, you've got to let him through, you've got to let him carry on. Fundamentally for this team, that is a big financial income. We need that to happen. You are not as marketable as Max Verstappen, full stop. Let him through. I think that's the aim they're going with here. If Perez is leading the championship, maybe that causes null and void and they fight for it. I hope that's the case anyway. See, I really hope that he hasn't signed anything to do with being a second driver or in terms of favouring Max in a way. Because I feel like that's so unfair on Perez. Like, I know Max Verstappen is Red Bull and he is a great driver, but Perez is a good driver as well. He showed that this week. And I was really annoyed after Barcelona with what Red Bull did. And I feel like in Monaco, if science wasn't in between them, could we have seen them say, let Verstappen pass? Because he was leading the championship. And I feel like that could have happened. Which isn't deserved. It would have 100% happened. Hundred percent, yes. Yeah, it would have happened. But it, yeah. it shouldn't. Right, it no, shouldn't you, happen. You're, you're, you're being right again. You, you are right. You are right. You're ultimately absolutely right. You know why? You know why they would have done it? Because Leclerc was in fourth, and they would have gone. This is big points chance here. Leclerc's Ferrari have stuffed Leclerc. Let him through. Let's get the biggest points all we can. He's going to lead this drivers' championship. That's what they would have done, and that's how no, they would have justified I'm, it. I'm and it's sorry. wrong. It is wrong. I'm not saying it's right. It is absolutely wrong. It's awful. But that is why they would have done it. Uh, no, see, I think there's a difference between how they justify it and why they would do it. They would do it because they'd do it. There is no reason why they'd do it. They just would. You are right that they would. That would be the justification. Big points haul. But if it was Leclerc in third. They would have done it. Yeah, regardless of where Leclerc would be, they would have done it. If Leclerc was first, Perez was second and Verstappen was third, they would have done it. They would. They will do that in that situation. So it doesn't matter what is or isn't in Perez's contract. I really, it's it's irrelevant. I just don't see how they're going to let them race. I mean, if I can take our, take your eyes back to, um, when was it, Austria 2002, if any of you can remember that. Um, Abby, Abby was a fetus. <laughs> I, was, I, I w- wouldn't have even been one, because I'm born in October, so that would have happened before Good. October, so I wouldn't have even been one. I'm not oh, sure wow, about I this new panellist, you know, guys, he's a bit old, <laughs> isn't he? Now I do feel old. I'm 34. Oh, Lord, this is, uh, this is terrifying. Right, moving on. Um, so for those who can remember it, or do, who can't remember it at all, uh, this was the height of the Ferrari dominance days of, early to, of the early 2000s, and uh, Barrichello, his, Schumacher's teammate, had been faster than uh, Schumacher all weekend. And on the last corner of the very last lap, Barrichello slowed and let Schumacher through at round six of the World, time, the world, of the world Championship at the time. There was boots galore, there was everything. I don't think Red Bull would be that extreme personally but I, th- I, th- I think the, the, the team orders are very much still there I want to see Perez fight to your point Abby they did not get an opportunity to do that to, 
on Sunday because they had sites in between them. Sorry, James, just I just want to interject quickly to share my favourite part of that story with Ferrari is the fact that Schumacher went on to win the title before the summer break that year. And admittedly, it was only a 16-round championship. But he wrapped up, I think it was the French Grand Prix, which would have been, what, round nine or ten, maybe? Yeah, something along those lines. It was ridiculous. Ludicrous. But I think Red Bull are just as ruthless. I, I do as well. And here's why. Michael Schumacher went on to be a seven-time world champion. Yeah? The, the greatest driver of all time in terms of accolades and records in his, in his era. What do you think of when you think of Michael Schumacher? You think of Ferrari. What do you think of when you think of Max Verstappen? You think of Red Bull. This is why the teams get forgotten about. Like Christian Horner said last year, no one cares about the the constructors because no one remembers Mercedes winning last year. Everyone remembers Max winning. This is why they drive that. They know Max Verstappen is going to win multiple world championships and every time someone mentions him in the history books, everyone will straight away think Red Bull Racing. Every time I think of Michael Schumacher, I think of Ferrari. Every time I think of Lewis Hamilton, I think of Mercedes. That, that's, that's, that's the tactic. It's let them win because forever, forever in history, every time that driver is mentioned, so is the team. That's, that's who you think of automatically. It's clever marketing. I'm going to play devil's advocate here then on this one because I think there's a certain toxicity that comes with that. And I'm going to take our minds back to 2013 to Red Bull again with Sebastian Vettel. He won nine races on the trot at the end of the season. But before that, he had the infamous multi-21 when he overrode team orders. Now, obviously, Max Verstappen has not done that yet. But I bet the day comes when he will be in a position where he can do that. Vettel paid the price that year and was booed every single race. And when you think of Sebastian Vettel, you think of the great work he does now. But let's not forget, 2013, he was a seriously hated driver. Now, is Max Verstappen at risk of becoming that if he's not careful? Of course he is. Of course he is. Every driver runs the risk of being hated and not liked. And I think Lewis Hamilton, even, even Lewis Hamilton, has that issue where because of what he talks about, because of... And rightly so, he should talk about these things. And I'm not, before, again, anyone in the comments comes at me. It's a case of Lewis Hamilton using his voice and his platform to make things better, make the world a better place. I completely agree with that. Max Verstappen could start doing the same thing and people could hate him for it as well. People hate Lewis for that. What Vettel did, he was hated for it, absolutely. Max will do something at some point, as every great driver does, that turns the crowd on him and it, it, it will happen he's already sort of gone through it though I think where his controversial driving style and his incidents on track and off track with, with Ocon in Brazil made everyone you know sort of not like him there's so many people already who don't like Max Verstappen let him crack on he's still going to be one of the greatest drivers who ever lived so is Vettel makes no odds to me or to them yeah, fair. I, I get that. But I, I do just want to stay on team orders. And I'm going to prefix this by saying this is very much potentially a conspiracy. But staying on team orders, 
Alex Albon. What was he doing? So for those of you who didn't see or didn't notice, at a certain point in the race, Alex Albon found himself in front of Charles Leclerc to be lapped by the Ferrari. And he didn't let him pass for over a lap. 16 blue flags in total. He then came out after the race and said that actually it was quicker for both of us. I was, I was, I was thinking of both of us. It was the right thing to do. To me, that's ludicrous. We know what the rule is. And also, on race direction, where was the penalty? Where, where's, the, where's the officiating there? But my question is, do you think any of his Red Bull affiliations came into that at all? Or am I just being controversial no, for the sake of it? They definitely came into play there, absolutely. Not even going to try and gloss over that. He, he was playing the Red Bull game. He knows he's minutely still in with a chance of that seat and he's going to do anything for it. He doesn't want to stay at Williams for the rest of his career. No disrespect to Williams. And, you know, what he said after, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. I feel like that was a classic Red Bull thing to say. Brilliant, you know. All right. The the race direction, again, was poor. He should have been penalised for it. 100% should have been penalised for it. But I love the fact that a Red Bull driver, even though he's not driving in the team, is willing to do that. He, he, and bear in mind, Christian Horner's not on the radio to him here saying, you know, don't let him through. No. That's him thinking off his own back, right? The two Red Bulls have just gone through. I've got Charles Leclerc behind me. Let's hold him up for, for a lap. Let's just shaft him a little bit more, even though his team have already done it. Let's just do it. Let's rub some salt in the wounds. I love that. Like, crack on. The race direction should have penalised him for it, but he's last anyway. Why does Alex care? Help his team. Do you, do you think it needs to be investigated within the wider context of his links to Red Bull? Do you do you do you think that there is a bigger problem that F one needs to tackle there? Because if 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 what you think happened is happening there, Cal, that is worrying for the kind of the 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 championship and the kind of you know the sanctity of it. James, what, what are your thoughts? It's it's the problem is it's something that's always been on been on the F one grid for years where drivers in other teams have been rumouredly instructed to hold another driver up it's 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 almost part of F one's DNA so I think they could well try and investigate it but I don't think it would come to anything personally drivers have been at it for years ever since I was a kid personally I, I can recall at least a couple of instances that it's happened yeah I I, I can't see anything happening with it because. You're never going to prove it. But what I will say is, like James said, it's happened all, all the time. You could conspire that Ocon cut up Max Verstappen in Brazil because he was in the chance in with the chance at Mercedes. He was obviously already talking to Toto and the year after he was reserve driver. Was he helping Mercedes there by doing that? Do you, do you think that that got him through the door with Mercedes? There's all sorts of things you could throw about and drivers are very clever. They know what they're doing. They're not told to do these things. They know what will get them noticed. They know what will get them a little bit more camera time. They know what will make people look at them. Because that's what ultimately what you need in Formula One. You either need money or you either need people to look at you and understand 
right? He will make us money if he doesn't bring money. Publicity, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to say it in a fancier way. Didn't really come off though, did it? I need to stop trying to do that. Anywho, <laughs> that that's exactly what Alex Album was doing. Publicity. That's all it was. It was a publicity stunt. What are we doing right now on a podcast where a few thousand people listen to it every week? Giving Alex Album publicity because of what he did. But uh, Abby, do you think that this whole having ties to a different team, wider kind of tapestry, do you think that needs to be nipped in the bud a little bit? Because he, yes, there's being a developmental driver or a reserve driver, but he is to, to, on the Red Bull books to the extent that his helmet is covered in Red Bull branding. What are your thoughts? I think it could help them if they're in a team that's in the midfield or at the back of the field and then potentially get into like a Red Bull seat for Albon. But I don't think it's fair for him to do something like that for the benefit of Verstappen and Perez and for the team that he could potentially be driving for one day because it it's not fair racing. It's I don't agree with it at all. And I think he said that if he would have let Charles pass, then he would have just gotten past him anyway on the tyres that he had. But they should race. And for 16 flat, blue flags, that is like, why not move out of the way? I don't, like, surely you should be moving out of the way for that. Surely. I love Alex Albon for this. I really do. Thanks, Sam, for raising such a good point on the podcast. I really do enjoy your points. I, I know you do. You you, you you enjoy them just, if not anything else, but to disagree with them. Um, I agree one, with this one. I think it's great. That are true, true. One point you might disagree with, though. Should we be worried about Mick Schumacher? In what sense? In the sense that he put the car on the wall again, albeit in difficult conditions. He's He's costing that team a lot of money at this point. And he's not progressing maybe as we'd expect is the name a bit of a burden yes he's closed the delta to to magnuson in terms of where they end up roughly on the track during a race and i've you know in and in qualifying but i don't think he's making the progress that really you would want to see by this stage he's getting on for 30 races into his career and he hasn't he hasn't scored a point and part of that is through his own mistakes um I, th- I do think his crash in Monaco was... That could have happened to anyone in those conditions. And All right, it happened to him. Of course it did. And it was driver error. But the conditions were difficult. He's not. I don't think he's driven in the rain in a Formula 1 car many times. Especially around Monaco. That's not, that's not an easy task. Um, in terms of his pace and getting points, he's been on the fringes of that the last couple of races. You know, he's made it into Q3... Last, was it last time out, I think? And then last two races before before Monaco, he was close. He was close to the points. I think it's coming for him, I really do. And I think what we'll see with Mick Schumacher is as soon as he gets his first points, he's going to go on and keep consistently picking them up. Maybe not every week, but every other week or one in three races, he's going to scrape into the points and... It'll do the world of good for his confidence as well, getting a getting a point because, especially what happened in Monaco, that's going to have knocked him. And like I said, I think it was last week or the week before, you can't count his first season. 
30 Grand Prix, yeah. But look what he was driving. He may as well have been driving in the F1 group with an F2 car. It, it was that bad. It was that bad. It was pointless classing that as a season. And like I said, all he was doing was learning the circuits that F2 don't go to. I really, I really think it's unfair to count that first season as anything other than that. That I mean, that is an interesting point because, uh, yeah, he could be a bit of a, a threshold driver in the sense that he's he's a confidence driver and he needs to kind of get over that hump. And I think it was Marcus Armstrong actually re- was referring to mix F three season where it wasn't really working, wasn't really coming together. He looked like he was a long way back and people were kind of going, look, the championship ain't going to happen this year. And he got strung together a couple of good results and he won the whole thing. So, yeah, there's there's potentially some, something in that. But also, whilst we're on F2, you know, cars, drivers, Total Wolf made some very interesting comments uh, about Alonso and his race. Abby. I know as a Hamilton fan, you'll have a view on this. What are your thoughts there? It really annoyed me what Alonso did. I like him, but it really annoyed me. He slowed down and he was like three seconds of what he could have been if he was going full pelt. And I, for one, he shafted Hamilton because you can't overtake. And then that made a massive gap between... Hamilton and Alonso and then Norris and Russell and Lando Norris was able to pit and get out ahead of Alonso and nearly catch Russell because Alonso slowed them down and the amount of traffic that he caused it literally was just a traffic jam and they were all following each other and then he shafted his own teammate as well because Ocon received a five second time penalty from his contact with Hamilton and because Alonso slowed down so much that all the subsequent drivers were then like within DRS of each other, within one second, Ocon was then pushed out of the points because of it. So I I get that he wanted to save his tyres, but then when Perez got round to the back, Alonso then put his foot down and drove off into the sunset and was way ahead. And it really annoyed me. So uh, I'm going to take a, a stab in the dark here and say, not your driver of the day? No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. All right, who was your driver of the day? Science. Why? Actually. Because for he he's made the bold move to stay out and not go on to inters. He went straight onto slicks, and there was one point where he very nearly lost it and hit the wall, but he managed to save it. And compared to his previous races, he improved massively, and he did really well in my eyes. Before I ask you for your uh, your race rating and we kind of do the, the full wrap-up, um, Cal, your face when Abby said Carlos Sainz is her driver of the day, what, what, share what you're thinking there. All I'm going to say is, around Monaco, all you have to do is not crash to hold position. So he came back out after his pit stop in second. That, for Carlos Sainz though, is an I, achievement. Yeah, fair enough for him. I'll admit it's an achievement, but come on. Come on, Abby. Come on. Come on. I'm sticking with science. I'm not going to choose a Red Bull driver. I'm sticking with science. I'm not not asking you to choose Red Bull. I'm asking you to make a decent decision. Lando Norris. There you go. He was still recovering. 
he's still recovering from tonsillitis and he finished p6 and he very nearly got russell on the end line when the checkered flag went if there was a couple more laps he would have overtaken russell i bet that's more like it that's a, no, that's a proper driver of the day Thank you. Now, now James is shaking his head. Oh, this, is, this is a tough crowd, isn't it, Abby? It really is. It um, is. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's a bit of antagonism here um, because, you know, it's one of those, you know, if people are disagreeing with you, you're probably doing something right. So, uh, you know, be confident in that, Abby. Hold some, you know, take some, uh, some confidence in that. Um, all right. Race racing, Abby. Okay, I'm going to say, Cal's probably going to disagree with this, but I'm going to say five out of ten. Because, right, the beginning of the race, that was entertaining, but purely because the weather, that added a bit to it, and then incidents and pit stops, dilemma and everything, that made it a bit entertaining. But the second half of the race was just uneventful and boring. So if it wasn't wet... And if Ferrari hadn't messed up the pit stop strategy, then it would be a very low rating. But I'm going to stick with five. And I didn't like the TV coverage at points because they did miss things, which annoyed me as well. They did. There's been a couple of issues with that of late. Um, Okay. All right. Maybe the race isn't the best, most representative way of doing it. What's What's your overall weekend rating then? Does that change anything or are you going to stick with five? That would actually increase a little bit because Formula 2 raced there as well. And I really enjoyed the Formula 2 Monaco weekend. So I'd say that's like a 6.5 maybe. Yeah. Fair. James, your first driver of the day and first race rating, or weekend rating rather, what what, what are you going for? Unfortunately, uh, Abby stole my driver. So my driver's also Lando Norris. That's why you were shaking your head. Yes, it wasn't just uh, Lando, just because, of, you know, the fact that he managed to pit, come out on decent tyres and nearly catch George and was almost, you know, was on him on the line um, while still recovering from, from tonsillitis and finishing so far ahead of his teammate. So he would be, I mean, he was my original. If I had to pick a second driver of the day, I'd probably give it to Sainz, which I know uh, Cal will probably disagree with. I can see him shaking his head um, purely because he needed a decent, he's had such a bad couple of races. He needed a decent one where he didn't crash, qualifying or gloss over. Um, but in terms of the race, he needed to do a decent race. He kept his head and, and did really, really well. So I, I, I'll give him that one. In terms of an overall race score, I've got to be honest, probably three out of 10 for me, for me purely because the race direction, the lack of anything from the, from the, from, from the race direction at the start about the delay, the, the common head is being savage. Like I said, it was just dreadful um, with a little bit of action on the side, but only when it wanted to drive was doing any overtaking and then an overall weekend um, rating. I don't think it was Monaco's greatest weekend as an advert for itself. So um, I'd probably give it a four and a half to five. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, Callum, to get the best out of you, sometimes we need to wind you up. And I'm glad that Abby and James have both done that by by mentioning Norris and Science as their drivers of the day. So uh, who's your driver of the day? Uh, there is no driver of the day. There is no driver uh... of the day around Monaco. You know why? <laughs> you know why? Like I said just with the Science thing, 
as soon as you've got position, that's it. Perez won the race on tyres that were just completely dead. All he had to do was keep it on the track and he'd won. That was it. Not really an achievement in my eyes. So driver of the day for me was the Red Bull race strategist. He's the winner of the day because he figured it out how to get Perez in front of Leclerc and Sainz. He's the winner. Um, Very good. Race rating. Race rating was a 1 out of 10. It was awful. Um, Weekend rating. I'll go for a 3 out of 10 because it rained. Um, If it didn't rain, I honestly think we would have seen one of the worst races for the past 10 years. If it didn't rain, the rain was the saving grace here. That's fair. Um, it's, yeah, I'm, I really, I, I can wait for Monaco to come back. I really can. And you know what? If I genuinely as well, and I mean this hand on heart, if someone offered me tickets to Monaco, I'd say no, thank you. It is that bad. Surely you'd go for the the external, you know, the, the glamour and the glitz. And the... No, I'll just go on holiday when it's cheaper. I'll just go in like, Away from F1 when it's cheaper and just go and see Monaco then, you know. I I really honestly would not be interested in going to Monaco. It is that bad. I'd rather go for Formula E. I'll go to Monaco for Formula E. Well, you know, I mean, you said that earlier, so, you know, there's some consistency there. You know what? For your birthday, I'm going to get you Formula E tickets for next year. With flights and hotel? No, just the tickets. They're like 30 quid each. If that. Okay, I'm not made of money. All right, it's worth asking, wasn't it? But, that, but that's cheered you up a little bit. There's a smile back in your face. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going to be quite as a uh, as grumpy as as Cal in my uh, driving of the day. And you three are probably going to laugh at me, and all of you listening, well, maybe laugh at me, maybe not, maybe laugh like at me, not with me, but. Charles Leclerc. Are you taking the mick? I'm not taking the mick. Are you taking the mick? How? Elaborate. It's, it's admittedly littered with a lot of hypotheticalism, but he would have walked that race. He would have dominated it. If it didn't rain and if his team didn't shaft him, I agree. But it didn't and it did. Well, let's let's be fair, Cal. You chose a race strategist as your driver of the day, so I'm still closer. He was the actual, he was the actual saviour of the race. He's the only one who changed <laughs> anything. Look, I think Charles deserves some kind of consolation here. And admittedly, that is a ridiculous consolation because I'm just some random uh, on a podcast. But... <laughs> you know what his consolation I, was? He could walk home. He didn't have a long trip home. That's his consolation, mate. I genuinely, apart, he, he had a great qualifying. I agree. He deserved pole. No disputing that. His team let him down, and the and the rain came. I said at the start in our live race chat. As soon as this rain came in, I said Ferrari are going to absolutely balls it up. What did they do? They balls it up. Move team. <laughs> if if you want to win in Monaco, move team. Genuinely, that is not a driver of the day, mate. That is awful. <laughs> See, I, I'm I'm glad because now Cal's going to end the podcast annoyed, and he's going to have to sit with that <laughs> until the next podcast. No, um, if I was going to have to kind of give a, a more serious op- uh, suggestion, I would say Sergio Perez. 
I think once out in front, he handled it well, soaked up the pressure and looks comfortable. Didn't didn't ever really look in too much danger, even on you know rapidly degrading medium tyres. So yeah, I think they both had, you know, well, Charles would have had a very good race. Perez ended up having a very good race. As for a weekend review uh, out of 10, a three, maybe a four out of 10. Cal's absolutely spawned that the weather saved it and it would have been atrocious without it. That's the only saving grace. The qualifying was 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 decent, ended a bit kind of, I don't know, it was funny-ish, but wasn't quite what you want to see. You want to see that last lap. You want to see the ultimate showdown and we didn't get that. So yeah, a bit disappointing. So I'm going to give it a, a four out of 10. It wasn't awful for a, for a Monaco Grand Prix. Abby. Quick question to you, Sam. Who would be your F2 driver of the day from the feature race? I mean, Felipe Drogovic would be a, a, an obvious choice because he, again, soaked up the pressure, handled it well. But Theo Porcher was just relentless. And if it was anywhere else, I think he, he it's fair to say he probably would have won that race. So I'd say probably Theo Porcher. Good choice, good choice. Well, that is just about all we have time for uh, this week. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, James, how have you found it? It's been good fun. Enjoy taking part in debates and seeing uh, Carl get cross. <laughs> Quite good fun. <laughs> well, I, I've no doubt we'll uh, we'll have you on soon as a... You are now in the regular rotation of podcast panellists. Cal, thank you very much for coming. Have you enjoyed it? No, not one bit. I hated every (laughs) second discussing Monaco. But while I'm here, you know, I may as well talk to you about FormulaNerds.com. If you want to keep up with the news and any good features that James writes or Abby writes, then uh, get yourselves over to FormulaNerds.com. We also have a... We also have a shop. No, you don't write anymore. We also have a shop, okay? And at the moment, we are doing a promo. First order, code first order, gets you 10% off at checkout. Go and get it while it lasts. Thank you very much. And Abby, two questions for you. Who is your F2 driver of the day? And where can you follow Formula Nerds on social media? F2 driver of the day has to be Felipe Dragovic because he was on he those tires were shot to bits at the end and he managed to stay ahead of Theo and he just did a dominant drive yesterday after an unsuccessful unfortunate qualifying or sprint race on Saturday. And you can follow Formula Nerds on all social media on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook to keep up with all the latest react posts and news as well. Thank you very much and until next time, it's been the Cuts Race podcast by the Formula Nerds. See you soon. Hi, I'm Louise
Chapman and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander and you're listening to the Formula Words podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Podcast Network.